Welcome to another home-cooked episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. With me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's Monday, June 1st, and the world changed again last week with the death in police custody of 46-year-old George Floyd. It set off peaceful protests and violent riots in cities across the country, first in Minneapolis, as well as not far from our office in Washington, D.C. Of course, we haven't been in that office for nearly three months because of the coronavirus, which also delayed the continuation of primary season until tomorrow. These two earth-shaking events are combining forces just as 12 states vote over the next eight days. Six more will do so before the month is up, putting a lot of the pieces in place for what will be an unpredictable run to the general election. Today, we'll go through the top primaries taking place Tuesday and explain what it means for November. After that, we'll break down a campaign ad that hit the airwaves last week and stood out among the rest. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Up first is Jerome's Gem. Jerome's Gem, my number of the week, is four. That's how many members of the U.S. House of Representatives were defeated for re-election in the primary in the 2018 election cycle. They were Democrats Michael Capuano of Massachusetts and Joe Crowley of New York, and Republicans Mark Sanford of South Carolina and Robert Pittenger of North Carolina. Will we match or exceed that number in the 2020 election cycle? So far, the only House member denied renomination this year has been Illinois Democrat Dan Lipinski. But Iowa Republican Steve King is in danger of losing in tomorrow's primary. We'll have more on that race coming up on Down Ballot Counts. All right. After the break, we'll talk a little bit more about Tuesday's elections. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Tuesday marks the second biggest congressional primary day of the year, with seven states choosing nominees. The big name of the day, Greg, you already mentioned him, Steve King. Will his controversial style finally catch up with him? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the big race, I think, the marquee race to watch on uh, on Tuesday, Kyle. Um, Steve King is up against four opponents. One of them is a dominant uh, opponent in uh, state senator, Randy Feenster. He seems to be much stronger than the other three going up against King. And King has come uh, under attack for statements he made, controversial statements he made about white nationalism and white supremacy right after the 2018 election. And that led Republican leaders to strip King of his committee assignments on agriculture and judiciary. Agriculture, very key to the economy in Iowa and that northwestern Iowa district he's represented since 2003. The Judiciary Committee, also where King has kind of emphasized his hot-button social conservative issues of, you know, abortion uh, and other issues. So uh, waiting to see, um, we'll see from those results uh, if King can hang on. You know, there's four opponents. You need 35% of the vote to win a primary outright under Iowa law. If no one gets 35% of the vote, it goes to a nominating convention, which is actually the way that Steve King came to Congress in 2002. Uh, But this is probably the biggest race we're watching tomorrow, Kyle. Yeah, and and the interesting thing is that um, you know, dis- despite all this rhetoric, and yet it's it's the fact that he was stripped of his committees, specifically that ag committee you mentioned, and what that means for his effectiveness in Congress. That could be what finally takes him down. That's what um, 
the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has run ads against him. Uh, that's what Randy Feenstra is running, you know, his messaging on. That's what it's based on. Um, so will that be, you know, will that will that be what takes him down? We'll see. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the U.S. Chamber of Commerce coming in for Feenstra against King. Also, I've tracked at least five members of Congress, Republican members of Congress, who have made political donations to Feenstra over King. It's pretty rare that you see members of Congress donate against one of their own members in a primary, but in this case, uh, the five members donating to Feenster just underscores how um, Republicans, just want, you know, some Republicans certainly in the caucus, want to be just rid of Steve King. Uh, they're afraid that if King were the nominee, he might actually lose a heavily Republican seat in November to Democrat J.D. Shulton, who actually came within three points of defeating King in the 2018 election. No, and and you know, if he does pull this off, if he does uh, is renominated, this shoots way up the Democratic target list for November. All right, another big name with a primary, Steny Hoyer, the number two House Democrat. Greg, how vulnerable is Steny really? I'm not sure he really is. It's hard to say. You know, after the 2018 election, we looked at some you know primaries. Like you know, the big one was Alexandria Ocasio Cortez pulling that big upset over Joe Crowley in New York. Um, I'm not sure that you're seeing a lot of candidates trying to replicate AOC's success. I'm not sure it's going to happen here. His uh, Hoyer's chief primary challenger, uh, Michaela Wilkes, um, you know, raised, she's, I think she's raised over $200,000, uh, mostly from individuals. You know, you're not going to raise PAC money or um, a lot of uh, big outside money running against the House Majority Leader. I'm not sure that Hoyer has the same vulnerabilities of, you know, say, Joe Crowley did in New York in 2018. Uh, there are also three other Democrats running in the race, so the any anti-Hoyer vote would be splintered. But, you know, I, I always want to keep an eye on some of these Democratic primary contests because you're starting to see, you know, more challenges of, you know, longtime leaders within the Democratic Party from uh, younger, you know, more progressive, more um, vocally liberal uh, challengers like Wilkes here. But uh, I expect Hoyer to win. He could win very easily as well. But you, know, you just want to keep an eye on some of these. That's right. And so that's Maryland's fifth district. Uh, we talked about Steve King's race. That's Iowa's fourth district. The other states voting are Indiana, Montana, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, any other races? Uh, which which of the races stand out to you the most among those other ones? Yeah, Cal, I really like that um, watching that second district New Mexico race, um, the Republican primary there. Um, this is a vast area of southern New Mexico. It's a district that uh, flipped from Republican to Democratic in 2018 with the victory of Democrat Zochi Torres Small over Republican Yvette Harrell. Well, Harrell is one of three Republicans seeking the nomination to oppose Torres Small in November, but she's not assured of winning the Republican nomination because of those two challengers. One of them, Claire Chase, used to head the state oil and gas association, and the other candidate is Chris Mathis, a military veteran. What's interesting about that race, Kyle, is that you have a lot of ads, a lot of super PACs that have intervened in that Republican primary, including from a Democratic super PAC that aired ads referring to Chase as a lobbyist, Mathis as a carpetbagger, and Harrell as a Trump loyalist. Now, if your Democratic group is running an ad in a Republican primary referring to a Republican as a Trump loyalist, it makes it seems clear that the Democrats, or at least this Democratic group, Patriot Majority PAC, uh, wants Harold to be the nominee against Zochi Torres Small in November, thinking that as someone who already lost to Torres Small in 2018, 
uh, Harold did by 51% to 49%. This Democratic group thinks that she would be the easiest Republican candidate for the Democrat to defeat. That's right. She's the one aligned uh, with the Freedom Caucus, Jim Jordan. Um, and so Democrats clearly see her as someone they can more easily paint um, as outside the mainstream. That's a district that flipped back in 08, and then Republicans flipped right back in 2010. It's it's really been a Republican stronghold Um a huge border district, um, but Democrats were able to pick it up two years ago. So we'll see uh, see if they can hold on this time. Um, and then, you know, staying in the same state, the third district, uh, the open seat of Ben Ray Lujan, who's running for the Senate. Um, this is a really interesting race, and it's got another big name, maybe the s- second biggest name of the day. What do you think, Greg? Very could be, and that name you're referring to is Valerie Plame. And if that name sounds familiar to uh, listeners of Down Ballot Counts, it probably should because uh, she came to uh, the public attention, well, this is almost two decades ago now, around 2003, uh, when uh, she was revealed as an undercover uh, CIA officer right after her then-husband, diplomat Joseph Wilson, uh, was questioning, publicly questioning, the rationale for the Bush administration going to war in Iraq. So uh, Plame is now, uh, you know, 17 years later, uh, seeking to run for Congress in northern New Mexico's third district. This is a very democratic district where the winner of tomorrow's primary will be strongly favored to win in November. She's not assured of the nomination because there are a bunch of other Democrats running. Uh, Her chief competitor is probably Teresa Leger Fernandez. Uh, She is backed by Emily's List, which is a influential democratic group that supports Democratic women who support abortion rights. Yeah, and Plame had, boy, one of the most unique introductory ads I've ever seen. She's just flying through the desert in a Chevy Camaro, driving backwards. And then she gets out and just walks like a really t- tough former CIA operative. Now I'm running for Congress because we're going backwards on national security, health care, and women's rights. All right, let's, let's move to Pennsylvania. I know the first district is one of the few Clinton districts where Republican is still representing it. Um, what's the story with that primary? Is, there, is, is, is this a race we should be watching in November, and does it matter who wins? I think it's a race to keep an eye on in November. I wouldn't put it among the you know, maybe the top 25 or 30 races to watch in November just yet because the Democrats have had some struggles here in recruiting candidates. Um, so this race, the first district, this includes Bucks County right outside Philadelphia, includes a part of Montgomery County, uh, also a Philadelphia suburb. It's one of uh, four districts that uh, Donald Trump lost in 2016 that's now uh, represented by a Republican in Congress, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick. In this case, Fitzpatrick barely held on in 2018 against a big spending uh, Democratic candidate, while Democratic candidates for governor and senator were winning this district easily. So Fitzpatrick has shown that he has crossover bipartisan appeal. Uh, he regularly ranks at the top of lists of Republicans who break from the party leadership on votes, who co-sponsor bills with Democrats. And so that's kind of insulated him from criticism that he's a, a pro-Trump or a Republican or a too conservative Republican for the district. Democrats did struggle to field candidates. He had a couple of candidates who withdrew from the race after raising some money. I think the Democratic nominee will be uh, Christina Finello. She's not very well known yet, but if the political environment deteriorates for Republicans and if she's able to raise the money needed to run in a uh, a populous area or a high uh, cost market like Philadelphia, then it's a race to watch. I'd still give Fitzpatrick the edge in November, though. All right. What else? What else is piquing your interest tomorrow? Uh, Well, I think um, we 
have to look at some of those Senate primaries as well, even if they may not be uh, highly competitive. You know, we have primaries in Montana tomorrow, and I don't think these primaries will be competitive, but the Montana Senate primary will set up what should be a highly competitive November race between um, Steve Daines, the incumbent Republican senator, and Steve Bullock, the outgoing Democratic governor. That's right. There's another one in Iowa, of course. There's four Democrats running to take on Senator Joni Ernst, the uh, Republican who won uh, for the first time in 2014. Uh, the name to watch, I think, is Teresa Greenfield. That's who the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee uh, endorsed. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think Greenfield's uh, top opponent probably is Michael Franken. He's a, a retired admiral. He's um, won the endorsement of the editorial page of the Des Moines Register. And um, Emily's List, the group that supports Democratic women who support abortion rights, um, is supporting Greenfield. And they've actually aired uh, ads that have been critical of Franken, which suggests they don't think that Greenfield has this completely sewn up, but Greenfield has also benefited from some outside spending from Senate Majority PAC, which is the super PAC aligned with Democratic Senate leadership. She's clearly the supported and endorsed candidate of the Democratic leadership to go up against Choni Ernst in the fall. That's right. All right. And there's a couple um, open seats um, that are going to be competitive. Um, Indiana's 5th District is one. That's um, a Republican-held district. And Iowa's 2nd District, which is Democratic-held Uh, Both of those look to be competitive in November. Both of them are open, um, and there's some competitive primaries uh, to watch there. Anything stick out among those two? Yeah, in the 5th District, which includes part of Indianapolis and its suburbs, you have more than a dozen Republican candidates running there, so um, you could win with a very small plurality there. The Democratic primary is less competitive. Looks like Christina Hale, a former state representative who is well-funded, will be the Democratic nominee in that district. That district has a strong Republican orientation usually. Um, Trump's margin there was not as overwhelming as Mitt Romney's was. Uh, Trump won the district by about 11 points. So it leans Republican, but not overwhelmingly so. I think Iowa's 2nd District, which has the southeastern part of the state, it's the only district where you have a Democrat retiring from a district that Trump carried in 2016, in this case, Dave Loebsack. It looks like there that um, Republicans will nominate Marionette Miller-Meeks, who is a state senator, a military veteran, a physician. She's run for the seat uh, three times before. Um, She should win the Republican primary, and the Democrat will be Rita Hart, a former state senator. That should be a competitive race in November. Well, we'll have to leave it there. But up next, we'll hear an ad running in the final days of one more race we're watching tomorrow. Earl Granville opposed President Trump and called his supporters Trump tarts. Mike Marcicano supported Hillary Clinton. He's a liberal Democrat. Jim Bognet is the pro-Trump Republican. Support our president. That was an ad from Jim Bognet, a Republican running in a six-way primary to take on Congressman Matt Cartwright in Pennsylvania's 8th District. This primary is big because Cartwright is one of the most vulnerable Democrats. He's one of only two not in their first terms, seeking re-election in a race the Cook Political Report rates as a toss-up. Greg, what did you hear? Well, Kyle, this Pennsylvania race is one of many Republican primaries where the candidates are trying to out-Trump the others, and they brandish the public statements and social media accounts of their opponents for unfavorable things they may have said about Donald Trump before he became president. That's the case in this ad. Um, This ad from Bognet, who... um, was a Trump appointee to the Export-Import Bank, uh, targets Earl Granville, a wounded military veteran and motivated motivational speaker backed by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. 
And it also targets Mike Marsicano, who is a former Democratic mayor of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. The ad refers to Marsicano as a liberal Democrat, though Marsicano has said that his views haven't really changed. And Marsicano aired an ad noting uh, Bognet's past political work for Mitt Romney, who irked Trump supporters by voting to convict the president in the Senate impeachment trial. So I think this is a race to watch, uh, certainly tomorrow and through the fall. It's one of those 30 districts nationwide that voted for Trump in 2016 and for a Democrat in 2018. This district is in the northeastern corner of the state, has Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Hazleton, ancestrally Democratic area that shifted to back Trump in 2016. But Matt Cartwright, the Democratic congressman there, who awaits the winner of the Republican primary, was reelected by more than nine points in 2018. All right. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. As always, let's review the question we asked last on our program two weeks ago. And I asked for the number of women presently serving as governor. And on a Bloomberg government Twitter poll, we gave you the choices of 9, 10, 11, and 12. I hope you made a choice. And let's now see what Kyle said. Kyle, what did you choose? I'm going big. I'm going 12. Okay. The correct answer is actually nine. Um, There are only nine women serving as governor or just 18% of the 50 governors. There are six Democrats and three Republicans. The Democrats are Laura Kelly of Kansas, Janet Mills of Maine, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, Michelle Lujan Grisham of New Mexico, Kate Brown of Oregon, and Gina Raimondo of Rhode Island. The Republicans are Kay Ivey of Alabama, Kim Reynolds of Iowa, and Christy Nome of South Dakota. So the answer is nine. And now for this week's question. Let's stay on the same topic, shall we? Who was the first woman to serve as governor of a U.S. state? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We'll also tweet the question and four possible answers from the BGov feed as a Twitter poll. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's episode of Down Ballot Counts. That's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Well, Kyle, we talked about that big primary tomorrow. We talked about Steve King's primary and some others. But I'm also watching an open seat race in safely Democratic district where the primary is the key election and more competitive than the general election. That is Indiana's first district of retiring Congressman Pete Visklosky, the Democratic primary winner there, as in New Mexico's third district, which we talked about earlier on the program, will be favored to prevail in November and join the next Congress. All right. And I was watching season three of Ozark. I just finally finished it last night. One of the best endings I've ever seen. Greg, if you're not watching that show, you need to catch up. It's binge time, buddy. All right, I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. And that includes Greg's big primary preview, which we published Monday. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Laura Carlson, and I'm dropping into your feed to tell you about Prognosis, a new daily show from Bloomberg. Monday through Friday, we'll spend a few minutes with you every afternoon to help you understand life in the time of COVID-19. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or wherever you listen. So come back every afternoon for our coverage and stay safe.